Hi everyone, welcome to episode three of Under the Wig. I'm Alex DeRossa. And I'm Alex Manning, and for the sake of variety, we are brought to you by the College of Law. Yet again, uh, law school is only the first step to admission. The next step is practical legal training. The College of Law provides the largest range of flexible practical legal training programs in WA. Visit colllaw.edu.au to learn more. That's C-O-L-L-A-W.edu.au. And uh, as it happens, today we're here in the Commonwealth Courts building uh, right across the road from College of Law, so we could probably go over and have them come on in uh, in person. But that's uh, that's not why we're here today. No, no. In fact, we are here to talk to Helen Shervin. Helen is a Murdoch graduate who has had a very non-traditional career path, first as a family law mediator and then as a public servant, and now as a member of the National Native Title Tribunal. Helen, thanks for joining us. Great, thank you. Uh, Helen, you initially qualified in psychology at UW uh, and you then came to Murdoch to complete first a Master of Education and then a law degree. What, what made you want to make that change? Yeah, sure. When I graduated from psych, it was in the early 80s, early mid-80s, and the job market was pretty tight, so I was looking around for whatever work there was and, strangely enough, I applied for a role as an uh, antiquarian bookseller at Robert Muir's Antiquarian Books, which used to be on Stirling Highway. And Interesting place to start. <laughs> it was. And when I um, asked them later why they employed me, because it was a pretty popular place to want to work, they said because they'd just got a big stock of books in from um, an anthropology collection and I'd done one unit in anthropology <laughs> in my psych degree. And so I guess that was the first lesson I learnt was that uh, things that you've done as part of your degree or just in your general life skills can pop up and help you along the way in the least expected moments. Into the antiquarian book market. That's right. Which and would be an interesting place to work, I it, think. It was a fantastic place to work. They provided lunch every day and uh, it was a very convivial uh, atmosphere. I got to meet um, Michael Jackson, who came as one of the clients Michael, as in as in the Michael, the Jackson. Michael Jackson. Oh. He was here for Telethon in, wow. in the mid eighties, and um, they also had customers like Barry Humphreys, Elton John, people like that, who I didn't get to meet. Um, <laughs> you didn't have to tell that. Still, that's Michael, right. <laughs> Michael Jackson is still the biggest name out of those three. Probably, I got to shake so. his hand and have a oh chat. So I know it was incredible. So that was my five minutes of glory in the eighties. From an anthropology unit. From an anthropology right, yeah. unit. Um, so then I was there. I was sort of wondering where my career direction would go. I wanted to build on the psychology, but I wasn't sure I wanted to actually be a psychologist. So I looked around and um, I saw that Murdoch had a a master's in education, which focused on educational psychology. So I got a scholarship for that, fortunately. And then while I was there, I was sort of thinking, well, how can I now build on that? Uh, I was started to get interested in dispute resolution and Fortunately, Murdoch decided they were going to have a law degree in 1990, so I applied and was one of the foundation students there. So really it was a case of sort of building on, um, you know, skills and strengths. And so I started law as um, in my late 20s, 29, 30, and graduated after three years. Wow, so you're the real grassroots from where grassroots, we are now. Yeah. That's right, <laughs> yep. Then 
once again, I seem to always graduate when work situations are pretty tight. <laughs> so you say that to people who are trying to graduate in the middle of a global pandemic. Exactly. So, so, we'll so there, is, there is hope. There is hope. Yeah. Um, and so when I graduated, there, there was the usual sort of lineup of clerkships and interviews, and it, we were all knocking ourselves out to, to try and get one of those. And I was actually offered one. Um, I think I must have applied for about 10 or more and I was offered one, but I was pretty sure, having talked to the person that offered it to me who was a barrister, that what they were expecting I wasn't able to give because they wanted someone who would go out and do good networking and bring in clients and things like that. And because I was just a fresh graduate, I had no idea how to go about all that. That seemed way out of my um, depth. So I declined that, much to quite a few people's surprise. But uh, and I think that's another lesson that I learnt was that if you if you get all the information you can about a situation, and then make a, a reasonable decision on the information you've got, and focus on your interests, then you usually can't go wrong. Because my interests didn't really lie in networking and going out and getting clients, apart from the fact that I didn't think I'd be very good at it. I wanted to do the work and, you know, do, do the sort of nuts and bolts stuff. And a job came up in a community organisation, Relationships Australia, which is a large Australia-wide organisation with a base in each state. And they were looking for a family law mediator. So with my background in psychology, education and, uh, you know, having a master's degree and also with law, it was a great fit. And Perfect I, candidate. Yeah, and so I started job sharing, which I also loved. So I haven't always worked full-time. I did um, job sharing for those three, three or so years that I worked there. And the great thing about working in mediation in the early 90s was it was, once again, as you said, that grassroots um, really mediation was really starting to kick off in Australia and um, worldwide. So I got great training um, right as things were starting to take off and really enjoyed it and found that whole problem-solving thing was was my way forward mediation was where you started yet afterwards you went back to work as a solicitor could you tell us more about that which was the only point in your career where you actually were practicing yeah that's right I was keen to um, get that practicing certificate I thought it would be interesting um, once again I was interested in doing that nuts and bolts work of a lawyer to see what it was like I didn't want to work in a large firm. I wasn't sure if that would be a good fit for me, that big corporate end of town. So I was fortunate enough to get a job in a sort of quite medium, small size firm. And I also knew someone who I'd gone through law school with who was a foundation student. She'd had a clerkship there and progressed on. So she was the one that let me know there was a clerkship coming up and I applied for it and I got it. And they were interested in me because of my mediation background and because I could offer services to their clients, which were a lot of small business, small to medium sort of manufacturing businesses in terms of mediation training for their staff. So they felt that that was a extra string to the law firm's bow. Oh, so you were there almost more as a mediator then? Or yes, okay. yeah. So I did private law practice and got my practice certificate. Yep. Um, but also did mediation training as well. And the private practice w work was interesting and it was good to get my practice certificate and get on the role of legal practitioners, but the interesting thing is, which I didn't really think about until I got the practicing certificate, is that once you've got it, you've got a whole lot of 
imposts on you in terms of keeping that practice certificate up, professional legal training each year. The, the great thing about not having a practicing certificate is you don't have to do all that. You still get the, the joy and the interest of having done the legal training and having that experience and being able to, to read and analyse things from a legal perspective, but you don't have all the responsibility that comes with having that practicing certificate. Best of both worlds. That is, yeah, that's right. So you've been an accredited mediator uh, longer than either of us have been alive. What would you say from that experience, what would you say makes a good mediator? Yeah, sure. Look, I, I generally find people fall into two camps. One is the people who um, say, look, this just isn't for me. It, it, I just want people to hurry up and make a decision or I want to tell them what to do. So there's there's those kind of people. And then there's the other people, which I guess I fall into more, is that okay, well, let's see um, if these people can hear each other and come to some resolution of, or, or part of their um, dispute. And I guess that, that pathway does take patience um, and good listening skills. And if anyone is interested in going down that path of being a mediator, there's, I guess, two things to take into account. One is to try and get that experience and there's a lot of ways to do that. Either you can do courses, there's many courses that you can enrol in. Um, there's also a lot of really great free opportunities like the Murdoch um, Student Law Society program that's just started up in terms of the, the mediation. The mediation um, competition. Yep. There you go. Owen, free plug for you there, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tune in, buddy. This one's just, for you. It's just terrific to see that kind of thing because it takes a lot of work to get those kind of programs up and running and just jump in to, to do that kind of stuff because it really does um, reap reward not only if you want to be a mediator but even if you don't want to be a mediator having those kind of question that skills those facilitating skills they really are important in all different sorts of roles I mean we're always having arguments are we you know in our personal life at work or we have clients who come in front of us and they're absolutely convinced that their way is the right way or that they're principle or their position is is the right one so being able to have the skill to to try and unpack that and get them to see the other side is a, a really important thing so my you know recommendation would be to to do courses if you can afford them and also try and volunteer if you can some organizations like citizens advice some community law centers the scales program at murdoch um, all of those things give you the great opportunity to be involved in things and and my um learnings you know over the years has been that you know like you know when i got the job at the antiquarian bookshop because i'd done one unit in anthro <laughs> and they just happened to have an anthropology book collection it, it's happened over and over again that opportunities have come out of unusual circumstances exactly yeah after returning to mediation in a different form, you decided to, for the sake of variety, take another turn uh, in career path and join the public service. Okay. What made you take that career path? Yeah, the first role I applied for in the state government was as a conciliator, so that really um, segued into the whole mediation program that I'd been doing and all the skills, and there were, there were very few jobs as conciliators in those days. I think there are more now and that was in the Office of Health Review, which is now called the Health and Disability Complaints Office or something like that. And I worked in that office for about seven or eight years doing different roles. So I started off as a senior investigator conciliation officer and worked up until I became the complaints manager. 
For and the sake of our listeners, would you be able to tell us a little bit about the difference between a mediator and a conciliator? Yeah, sure. Um, I guess there's a continuum of dispute resolution and all of these, all along the continuum, having a legal background does help. You can um, become a facilitator, which is more, you know, standing up in front of meetings and, and getting people to getting a message across, so that, that's one level. Then there's a mediator where I guess the general theory says that you're not being too interventionist, you're sort of holding back a bit and letting the parties move things along. Then the next level up is conciliation where the theory says you, you kind of get a bit more interventionist. Usually you've got some statutory background like um, Equal Opportunity Commission have conciliators, people like that. And then you go up to arbitration which is, you know, final binding decisions usually of some sort on parties. So once, so as you're moving up the continuum, there's less and less control that the parties have over things. And then finally you've got the court-based um, tribunal kind of, mm. yeah. When diplomacy doesn't work. Yeah, that's right, yeah. I've done almost 600 arbitration decisions now and my decisions at the tribunal are finding final and binding on parties and they can be appealed to the federal court. Potentially there's three parties, the state the explorer or the native title party who can appeal. We should mind throw in at this stage that of those decisions, only five have ever been appealed in, that you've made in 10 years. Yes. And none of those appeals have ever been successful. Excellent so track record. To, to yeah. date, yes. To date. <laughs> okay. We won't jinx you. I've got my TripAdvisor 100% rating <laughs> so, so far. Yeah, and, and so I guess having the mediator skills and, and those communication skills that I learnt partly at law school is enables me to be able to communicate a message to parties that at least one of the parties doesn't want to hear. You know, having those skills is important and, and can be transferable to all sorts of jobs. What do you find most rewarding about your current position and indeed the experiences you've had in the past? Look, um, being a tribunal member is a fantastic role and I'd really encourage people who are doing law to, to look into that. If, if you like admin law, um, if you like, um, you know, the technical aspects of law, it, it's a really great role. And also, usually, most tribunals, you have a good variety of, of role. Like, for example, I do mediation as well as arbitration. Sometimes the mediations can go on for a long time because of the complexity of them, but arbitrations are much more time-constrained by, by the Act and various other things. So, Do you ever have matters that begin as a mediation and then ultimately go to arbitration and you go all the way through? Or? Um, under the Native Title Act, if I've mediated something, I then don't arbitrate okay. it if the parties haven't been able to reach agreement. So there's a firewall there between the two. Another member would pick that up as an arbitration. So, yeah, so what do you find most, most rewarding <laughs> at the tribunal? I, I get to work with such a fantastic team that provide me with assistance. So if I need research, I've got Murdoch Uni graduates working with me, which is terrific and graduates from other law schools and all sorts of other backgrounds and, and jurisdictions, not only law students. So it, it's a, a great melting pot of, of um, expertise and information that I get to work with every day, which is fantastic. And also the variety of stakeholders from dealing with industry plus government plus native title parties. So, I, I, you know, I, I get a great variety in my daily work. Sometimes uh, some of these things can be quite opaque, particularly sure. for people who are coming at it from 
you know, with a personal values or, you know, personal stake in it. And that can be from a, a you know, a single prospector who's, who's out in the bush just making a living to native title parties to even, you know, people working in state government. They, they all have a stake in it. So emotions do come into it. What's the flip side? What are the struggles of your position? Yeah, look, each, each matter I deal with has its own challenges. Mediations can have a lot of emotion involved, so that, that can be challenging. And the arbitrations themselves, they can have complex evidence, people's affidavits uh, about cultural materials, which are very sensitive. Sometimes non-disclosure dis uh, orders are requested for cultural reasons, so I need to consider those very carefully. And uh, sometimes the matters are involving millions or billions of dollars projects that parties are keen to get off the ground. So all of that has to be taken into account. It's, it's a, I guess the responsibility is something that can't be taken lightly. We hope every episode that we do of this podcast gives our listeners an opportunity to look into someone who might be them in 10, 20 years into the future and provide advice and knowledge that otherwise wouldn't be available. Flipping that over, what mentors have been important to you in your professional career? Look, that's a really good question and I think mentors, it, it's not, don't try not to think of mentors as being that you have to go to a wine and cheese or a networking <laughs> or something like that, which some people love and some people don't like quite so much. Um, I'm getting the feeling you fall on the second side. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think... Being kind, you know, we can, we can all be mentors to each other for starters. I don't think mentors necessarily need to be someone who's a senior person. For example, volunteer board positions. There's quite a few, particularly in community organisations where they're looking for people with a legal background, not necessarily that you want it going to be offering legal advice, but just to have that sort of context. Well, you yourself went back to Relationships WA, didn't you? That's yeah. right. As a board member and then president as well. That's right. So. And, and how that ties into being mentored was that someone that I happened to work with in the early 90s who was um, an administrator, she remembered my name. And so when I applied, I saw a notice in the newspaper that they were looking for board members, so I applied. And she remembered me from when we worked together ages ago and you know so she gave me a ring and you know discussed the the um, position so you know I, I was mentored by someone who was an administrator who you wouldn't necessarily consider to be a mentor you, you'd sort of normally think oh well I need someone who's um, expert in a, in my field or something but I guess the message I'm trying to get across is a mentor can be uh, you know, the person at your local deli at the cash register who you just happen to say, look, I'm, I'm doing a law and I'm interested in this and what are you doing? You know, get, get some of that dialogue going with people in your community and, and people in your friend group, people that you work with. You'd be surprised of the people that you work with in, even if you're in a retail job or a hospitality job. They're going to have all sorts of skills and so are you. You've got all sorts of skills that, that you can offer and all sorts of connections and just by having those conversations, you know, never be too busy, I guess is my message, to, to talk to each other. Well, I mean, speaking for myself, I've had regular customers at my retail jobs who've turned out to be lawyers and have given me work experience <laughs> as a result. Exactly. So you sort of never know who you're going to run across. You do and never know. I would have known them for like six months before finding out anything about what they did. So. That's right. And, and that's a, a good message too is that be keen, read widely and 
I, people sometimes say to me, uh, what advice would I offer, you know, as a mentor in terms of, you know, what field to go into or, you know, do do people have to have a certain passion for something? And I, I think that kind of thing is can be a bit scary because what if you don't have a particular interest in anything? You know, you're just very interested in a lot of things. So my sort of advice would be what do you want your day to look like? You know, do you want to be a manager of a team? Do you want to be a, a solo kind of person? Are you better with big caseloads? Are you better with detailed work? What do you want your day to look like? If you're feeling so burnt out and tired, if you're at a cul-de-sac, and this has happened to me a, a few times each time I've crossed over into another jurisdiction or another job, I've been at a crossroads at those times, take time out. You know, take a day off, get your CV up to speed, make sure you're rested. You're not going to get opportunities by just worrying about it, that, that spinning your wheels and wasting your time. If, if you do have something that you're aiming for, then set, uh, you know, half a day aside, do it, and then go and do something nice. You know, go and have lunch with a friend, go for a walk on the river, go for a kayak, you know, whatever rests you up and, and makes you fresh because just worrying and and feeling like you're, you're at a bit of a dead end or a crossroad isn't going to help. All those things are often underrated and, um, you know, put to one side. Would that be your advice for students who are currently at uni or about to graduate and aren't sure where they want to go with it or have only the vaguest idea yep. where they want to go? Just And I would, once I was at a crossroads and I applied for, I think it was 17 jobs in about six months and they and I was like a jobs juggernaut not just cut and paste kind of things, but really putting a lot of effort into, you know, making the application and, uh, you know, tailoring it to the particular role. And what I learned out of that was it was a very valuable exercise and also I was lucky enough in some of my state government roles to be on the other side of interview panels too, so I got to see how interviews work. And what I can tell you from that experience was that just because you think you you are absolutely a cert, dead cert for this job, you may not get it. And it's not necessarily because of you. It could be there's someone that's even more of a dead cert there. It could be someone's already acting in the role and they've got that experience. There's so many reasons. So if you don't get it, don't waste your time beating yourself up. Just move on and, and go to the next thing because otherwise, once again, using up a lot of valuable energy, worrying and, and not sort of being active. Um, actually, I read a really great book when I was at a crossroads uh, a while back. It was um, Chris Hadfield's book called An Astronaut's Guide to Life on Earth. Chris Hadfield is the Canadian guy, right, yeah. who does the yeah. some space oddity on the International Space Station and that. Exactly. Yeah. And you might think, oh, what's that all about? But actually, it was a really good book because it, it showed that if you've got a goal in mind or if you want to try and get into some a certain field or if you've got an idea, doing physical things towards that goal is really important and practice, practice, practice. I, I think I read something, one of those American basketballers said, if you keep practicing but you're not doing it with the right technique, you're just going to get good at doing bad, you know, shooting bad hoops or something. So, so you've got to get your technique right. Um, for example, if you're sending out applications and you're not getting... Um, interviews, always get feedback. Even if you haven't got an interview, get feedback. I've got some of my most valuable feedback from jobs that I haven't got. You know, go to someone 
in the firm where you didn't get the job and say, what was wrong with my application? How could I improve it? So, so try and get feedback, take it on board, and don't be too shy because 80% of people are willing to give you some time if, if you're interested and, you know, you, you give them the space to do that. Today is a classic example. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, I think that wraps us. I so think that wraps us up. We've we've gone from Michael Jackson to <laughs> mediating to Chris Hadfield, the astronaut, <laughs> to American basketball players. So. Yeah, thank you very much, Helen. No worries at all. Thank you very much for your time. And thanks also to our friends across the road there at College of Law. Indeed. Uh, good luck with ev- exams, everybody, and we'll have new episodes of Under the Weave coming during the break. <laughs>